Hey everybody, this is Jason Probst, that guy in Hutch, and I'm really excited about today's episode, and I really hope that you'll take the time to listen to this whole episode. Um, I'm, I'm speaking with Myra Kitson, who, along with her husband Jim, own Metropolitan Coffee. And the thing I really hope you'll take away from this and why I felt this was important is that the small business owners in our community uh, are play such a critical role in in the vibrancy of our life here. And I, I think as you listen to Myra talk about some of the challenges they've faced in the last couple of years, and, and frankly, throughout their ownership of Metropolitan Coffee, I think it's really striking to me how hard it is for a small family-owned business to make it. As you listen to it, I hope you'll think a little bit to yourself about what a void would be in our community if a place like Metropolitan Coffee or any number of our small businesses didn't exist. I really think you'll enjoy this episode. I hope you'll take the time to listen to it all the way through to the end. Myra was so open and so frank about some of the things that her and her husband have faced in the last several years. And I really appreciate her willingness to come on and share that story with all of us. Hi, everyone. This is Jason Probst, That Guy in Hutch, and you're listening to That Podcast in Hutch. Today, I have Myra Kitson with me. She's the owner, along with her husband, Jim, of one of my favorite places in town, Metropolitan Coffee, up on the corner of 17th and Lorraine. Myra's owned the, the Metropolitan Coffee since 2008, and we were talking a little bit before the show. She's actually gone through two rough patches here recently in uh, 2020 and 21 with the pandemic. And then right before they bought the store in 2008 is when the economy started tanking after the, the housing and financial collapse of, of 2007, 2008. But we're going to talk a little bit about that today and uh, kind of what they do there and what their vision is for the store, and as well as some of the challenges that are unique to small business owners. Myra, thanks for being on today. Oh, thanks for having me here. So tell me a little bit about when and why you bought the store. You, you talked to me before, Metropolitan Coffee opened in 2002, and I like to remind people that there was no market for a high-end coffee store before Metropolitan Coffee. Starbucks came in later. But that was after the market had already been established by a local provider of, of good coffee. Tell me a little bit about why you, you wanted to get into the coffee business. It actually sort of fell into our laps. Um, our son, Zach, was a barista at Metropolitan Coffee before we bought it. I think he started there when he was 16. And um, it just through a series of events, we ended up sort of going, oh, this sounds like a good idea. Our mission when we first bought it, we really wanted to create a place of community, a place that everyone could come and relax and feel accepted for who they were. Of course, we want to provide phenomenal coffee, great pastries, great chais and teas. But the whole purpose was creating a sense of community, a safe place for people in town. And that's really how it started. I'm a big coffee lover. I love coffee and drink it every day. And probably my doctor would tell me I drink maybe too much of it. But tell me about, did you know anything about coffee before you got into the business? I didn't. Um, my husband, Jim, was a, a huge supporter of the shop <laughs> before we bought it. We were in there on a regular basis, um, maybe purchasing the shop was a way to fund his 
his addiction to brevets. Um, but he was pretty regular. I'm actually more of a tea person. Okay. And so that's how teas got involved in the shop, why we brought those in. But with Zach working there, he was, you know, he was pretty passionate about it as well. And so that, that was sort of the inroads and got us talking to the, the owners when we purchased it. Now, you mentioned that you wanted to create a space where that was a community space where people could come and feel comfortable. Uh, and, and I know over the years you've hosted uh, concerts in there. My son's played in there with his band. And there's always such a good vibe in there, just a very comfortable place. But why, why do you think something like that's important to have in a community? I think it allows for people from diverse backgrounds to sort of connect or to see each other. Um, that's what we loved about being able to have music. We could have, you know, bluegrass one night. We could have jazz one night. We could have, you know, yogi bogey one night. And that allowed for different people that maybe hadn't experienced that music or been part of the crowd that would have attended that music to come and see and be seen. And it really allowed people to start conversations. And I think that's so important in a community to have a, a neutral ground, a place where everyone knows they're welcome. So you may be diverse, but you could come and chat and interact and it's safe. It allows people to sort of rest. Um, a long time ago, someone did an interview with us and they wrote it up. And it was a high school paper, I think, and they wrote it up and we had said something about creating a safe place for people. And somehow when they put it in their article, it ended up being a sofa place. <laughs> and, you know, but then we thought about it and it's like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. And you do. And one of the more popular spots in the store is the sofa area, right? People, I've seen people kind of corral their kids in that area and make a little play area out of it. Sometimes. Uh, if they're if it's busy and there and all the seats are taken, but there's like one or two people sitting at the collection of sofas, other people will come and sit at those sofas as well. So you get that kind of cross pollination, I guess, of different people uh, sharing the same space together. Yeah, and I think that really lends into one of the biggest challenges that the last couple of years have provided to us. When COVID hit, we ended up pulling all the soft furniture out because we had no way of knowing if we could sanitize it or if that was even important. And so, you know, we, Jim and I were talking about what is our biggest challenge most recently with the small business. And I think our biggest challenge, honestly, is supporting our mission and creating that safe and welcoming environment, creating the sense of community when you can't have community. Has that been pretty difficult for you guys this year and last year to, to kind of know that, that, that you weren't able to fulfill that mission and, 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 can, and maybe talk about that in general, about some of the things you've had to deal with in the last couple of years and how it's impacted your business. Well, I, and that's exactly true. We, we haven't had live music because we have a fairly small venue, even though it's large compared to coffee shops, but we don't have adequate ventilation. So trying to be responsible and, you know, part of our mission is caring about our customers. So to have live music, which was so much part of, 
us creating community, we haven't been able to do for the what last year and a half. And then also we did swing dance nights. That was a every the last Sunday of every month we had swing dance. And we can't do swing dance because again, you know, you've got people breathing on other people they don't know. And again, it might be okay, but I don't want to be the place that maybe someone catches something and they go to the hospital. So, you know, living up to our mission. And then lastly, angering people over some of the mask issues. That was really hard because we were trying again to do our best to follow the rules, to look out for our our customers and those coming in and to lose some of that community when people become angry. And so that was probably one of the most heartbreaking parts of the last year and a half. I was, I was just thinking as you were talking about all this, that it must've been heartbreaking to, to have to make some of these very tough decisions. I know that, um, you know, the mask issue has been very controversial and business owners had to make the decisions based on what was best for their business, their customers, and based on the best information they had. Did you have some, some people get upset with you over that? We did. It's really been hard for the staff. I mean, we have dropped requiring the mask in the shop right now because it's not a county mandate. We tried to follow what the county commissioners did, although we sometimes felt a little alone on that. Um, It was really sad to have people, we've had people take their mask off and yell within six inches of our face. We've had people that are fairly large and intimidating lean across the counter and scare the tar out of some of our staff. We've had people cuss at us. And this is all in an environment where you don't have to come in. There are options for you to go to our drive-through or to another drive-through. Yeah, it was that was a heartbreaking part. Yeah, and that and that's a, a good point that um, you do have another location downtown on Second Street uh, by Washington between Washington and Maine. Maine, yeah. And uh, if it's a matter of just wanting coffee, if you don't want to be in the environment, just having coffee, uh, you could that would be an option. But but also in the store, if I remember right, it, once you sat down at your table and you wanted to drink mm-hmm. your coffee, that was. That was fine to take your mask off and do all that. Right, right. We only required people to have their mask on when they ordered or when they were moving throughout the shop, walking by another person. You know, that was the whole point. I we had one person that said, Oh, if I'm sitting down, okay. And so they went and grabbed a chair from a table, brought it to the counter, and sat down and took off their mask to order. You know, it, it just angered people so much. And that was hard. And these decisions weren't, I mean, there, there was probably a lot of thought and, and consideration yeah. that went into that to try to balance what, because the, those decisions weren't good for your business necessarily. No. This didn't do anything to increase your business. This didn't uh, bring more revenue into the store. These were just decisions that you had to make as a family owned business on what was best to do. Right. Right. Exactly. It didn't, in fact, it didn't help us at all. We were shut down, um, We made the decision until we could get more data or more information and guidelines. We shut down for six weeks at the main location. That was a huge impact. And we were down, I believe, four weeks at the drive-through. And then once we got more information, we opened back up and tried to do it as safely as we could. The whole time trying to pay those people that were still working for us because they counted on us and 
we luckily had enough savings, which a lot of small restaurants didn't. We had enough to get through one pay period, you know, and that helped a lot. And as you know, the the state of Kansas did their best on the unemployment sites, but we had a lot of staff that filed for unemployment that could never really get it. It was just a challenge. So there were a lot of decisions we made. We spent a lot of time thinking about it and doing our best to make it safe for everybody. Yeah. And that's, that's not a, I, I mean, I don't envy your position on that <laughs> at all. And now you and I have had other conversations too. There are a lot of challenges, COVID aside, that brought its mm-hmm. own special set of challenges. Um, but aside from that, there are a lot of challenges that small business owners and family owned businesses like yours face just even in daily operations. Um, one of them is, and this is a conversation <laughs> we've had separately, is the, the conversation ar- around wages. And I know a number of the, your staff uh, and have over the years. And I know how you, uh, you know, that's really a family environment. Your employees really enjoy working there and they feel like family. Um, but at the, at, the, at the end of the day, there's a business to run and you have to make the, you have to make the numbers work. And you have some unique challenges in being a small operation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think what, is, what you mentioned is true. Once a staff person comes on at Metro, they do become part of fa- the family. You know, we, we care about them. Um, and we, one of the challenges is we honestly can't compete with the big store, you know, the big chains as far as pay. It's really hard for us. Um, we, we're doing minimum wage. We're getting ready to go up a little bit, but we can't do that. We can't provide health insurance because we, we just don't have the resource for that. I would love to be like Starbucks and be able to pay tuition. That would be so awesome. Um, but we just don't. So those are the challenges around wages. And I think one thing that people maybe don't realize when they talk about wages, it's actually just not the hourly rate that you pay the person. Then we have work comp insurance on top of that. And that is all based on how much you actually pay. That's based on your payroll. So if your payroll goes up, your work comp insurance goes up. And then we have, you know, unemployment insurance that is based on, guess, the wages, the payroll. And so if your payroll goes up, your unemployment goes, insurance goes up. And I won't be surprised if our rate doesn't go up because of all the demands on the fund, you know, and so that will increase as well. And we have, we pay Social Security taxes equal to what employees pay. So, and Medicare so there's some matching parts to the expense of wages that I think people don't realize. And so it's not just a straight, if I pay this person more, um, that's how much the cost is. There's secondary cost associated with that, that actually cost you more uh, just to try to pay uh, an employee more. Exactly. Right? So we talked a little, you touched a little bit on health insurance, and I know we've had this conversation before too, and you you've kind of indicated to me that you would, that's one of the things you'd love to be able to offer employees, but the cost is so prohibitive for a business of your size. Talk to me a little bit about that because I, I know that that's something a lot of small employers struggle with, that they can't provide that additional benefit. And in some cases it costs them availability of labor. That's true. I mean, we have um, our daytime staff is a little bit older than our weekend and closers and so they're actually sort of two different needs based as far as employees. The daytime weekday staff, 
you know, for them, they really, they're older, they're out from their parents, so they need health insurance and they need dental insurance. Uh, Mental health insurance is really something we should be talking about. Um, And that's, you know, we still can't do that. One of the challenges is that we have about 18 employees, but probably out of that, there are only about four that would be interested in health insurance, which isn't even enough to get us into the, um, some of the, the other options rather than like a standard Blue Cross Blue Shield plan. Yeah. So you have to have usually five to 10 employees to do that. And most of our other staff are teenagers that are under their parents' plan. So that's one of those challenges. We don't have the funds to go with the big name to get a really great insurance. And we have not enough people to go with another option. Have you, have you ever lost anybody because of health insurance? They haven't said specifically because of health insurance, but what we have lost them is the fact that maybe I can't pay $10 an hour and provide health insurance. You know, that's, that's the thing. I do know, I've had staff tell me, I really wish I had health insurance. And I've had staff tell me, I would really wish I had some sort of mental health insurance where I could get, you know, some sort of help there too, which you would have under a standard policy. And so the staff that we have are really kind to us and they stay with us. They maybe stay with us longer than they should because they like the environment and we really do cherish them. But when they do leave, it's because, you know, we can't compete with, you know, 12, 10, $12 an hour and health insurance. And, and talking about that and talking about the difference between, because uh, I always think this is an important distinction to make when we have these conversations about wages and benefits and things. There is a huge difference between what you're doing and what a giant corporation is doing or, or has done in the past. In your case, uh, we were talking before, uh, you're, you're the owner, you and Jim are the owners, but yeah. you're, and I hope you're comfortable talking about this, but uh, <laughs> you, and, you and Jim aren't making a ton of money on this, right? We actually aren't. Um, we've owned it since 2008. Uh, part of the way we acquired it was to borrow against Jim's 401k, a small amount, but we still borrowed um, in the last three years, we haven't even pulled funds to make those payments on the 401k. We're doing that out of our own pocket. So we do not, in the last three years, we have not pulled anything to pay us. We, you know, the hours that we work are all free. And so it's, it's more of a, a passion, you know, and honestly, if you're not getting paid, it's a hobby. So <laughs> it's sometimes not the most fun hobby, but no, we aren't, we aren't making anything out of it. So. And then, so, well, tell me what drives you then to keep doing this. When we talked a little bit about the sense of community and everything, but um, a lot of people would look at it and say, if I'm, if, if I've done this, this many years and I haven't made the money at it, like what keeps you going? Part of it is um Zach is passionate. Our son is really passionate about the coffee shop. And we really want to see that as a legacy, something we can give to him. I mean, he is getting paid. So, you know, as long as he can continue down that road, I think it will be a great lifetime option for him because he does love it. Also, 
probably until the last year and a half, we really loved the community aspect. We, we had friends that, you know, we interacted with at the shop. We loved talking to people that would come from out of town, you know, and you could chat with people. You could make them feel welcome. Um, it wouldn't be unusual to have people come from the hospital where they have someone that is not well, and you can really pour into their life and make a difference to encourage them for a few minutes till they go back. Um, and that's what we loved about it. I think we were just actually talking about this last night. After the last year and a half and all the sort of the anger that has been directed at the coffee shop. And now we've gotten a lot of really nice support too. Sure. But you tend to hold on to the people that are angry at you. <laughs> and that's made it really hard. Um, you know, we've even had friends that have stepped away because they didn't like our policies. And that's probably been the hardest part. But what motivates us, and I think will, once we get hopefully on the other side of this, is to be able to have community again and to be able to make a difference in someone's life, even if only for 10 minutes, you know, a 10-minute chat at the bar. You know, one of the things I've always liked about your store um, is is that sense that sen- exactly that sense of community. I I can go in there. I can schedule meetings with people there, and it's a comfortable place to meet. I can take my son in there when he's got some downtime or he's back in town for a visit. We can say, "Let's go there," and we'll grab a game off the mm-hmm. off the shelf over there yeah. and play it. But the other thing I like is. Uh, I'm always going to see somebody I know, yeah. right? I can always going to have a conversation there. And so if I'm working or I've been by myself all day and I'm tired of that and I want to, I don't want to be by myself or I don't want to be alone anymore, I always have known that I can go to your place and I'm going to see you or Zach or Nate yeah. or uh, I'll run into somebody and I'll have a conversation and it kind of pulls me back into the sense of, of that I have a community around me. We love that. I love that. You know, it, we have people that come in like every year, maybe it's state fair time. They'll go, oh, I was in here last year and we chatted about this. Or we've had people come back and said, you know, they come and visit their mom from out of, they come from out of town and visit their mom every three or four months, so they come in and chat. And if we're lucky to catch them in the shop, we get to ask them about their parent. And, and you know, they, they think, oh, wow, somebody actually cares. And so being able to spend that five minutes impacting someone in a positive way is probably what still keeps us going. But that's hard to do when you've got the plastic between you and the mask. Yeah. Yeah, it's been especially challenging in the last couple of years, I think. Now, another thing that you talked about that's been a challenge is uh, some of your supply issues uh, that we're seeing. Cost of goods have gone up. You mentioned freight has gone up. Uh, Talk to us about that, that, that what you've experienced there. It's really interesting. We're very lucky that um, our main coffee supplier has only went up about 10 or 15% in the last four or five years. That's really good. Um, freight now on pretty much everything runs us at least 15% on top of the, the price. Um, the supplier where we get our cups and lids, because we don't have a big negotiating contract. We can't negotiate with anybody. Um, I feel like we, we buy really wisely 
but just from 2014 to 2021, so seven years, it's went up about 50% on our cups and lids and, you know, the, the paper products. Mm-hmm. Also, right now, the supply chain, which everybody talks about having trouble, the supply chain is tricky. Um, you know, we sort of load up on everything when we can. Um, is that because you don't know yeah. what the next order cycle is going to bring for you, you? Yeah. Well, you don't know if it's going to be available. Yeah. The sil- like 16 ounce cold cups all of a sudden have choked. And luckily we have the arrangement with Webstraw, which is our main paper supplier that, you know, we pay a fee to be part of a club, you know, kind of thing. And they allow you to call and they usually have some set aside for people that are in that group. But it's it's tricky and it adds a level of stress because it's like, oh man, are we not going to be able to get that cup? Because then that creates stress for the barista. You know, if the barista can't have the right size cup, people get upset. It's also really hard to make sure you portion correctly. So yeah, the supply chain is sort of tricky. Shipping has went up quite a bit. Um, so yeah, those are probably some of the big things. Well, and a couple of things there. I, I know when when the store is busy, it seems to me I've never done this. Where I've never done anything beyond make like my own French press at home, right. kind of thing. But it seems that it's all a matter for the, for the baristas to keep up with the volume when you're really busy. It, it's kind of a there's a system, mm-hmm. right? And so it's a system of I have this size cup, I put this much in it, and when that has to change, that probably throws a hitch in everything, doesn't it? It does. I mean, there's there's there are recipes for everything, and it's sort of interesting. I think. People have often said, well, can't you just get someone from the temp agency to come in and, and do the barista work? And it takes at least four weeks to be trained good enough to be left on your own. Um, and everything has a, a formula. Everything is a recipe. And then if we change the kind of drinks we are offering, well, the recipes change again, and you have to learn those. And and then the poor baristas, on top of having to know everything, you know, we talk about waste. If you waste two ounces of milk every time you make a drink, that sends our costs through the roof. So there's, yeah, everything has a formula. Everything has a distinct skill. So if you take away one of their tools, their life becomes a little more stressful. And and another thing is consistency in the product, right? People expect the coffee to taste the same. Yeah. And th- and this is another complication for you. You when coffee prices go up or freight goes up, it's not as if you can just find a different bean supplier. You yeah. you've built your business around a certain flavor, a certain consistency, and if you start changing that because of cost, that that's another challenge. It's a real challenge. It's interesting. We used to have we have an espresso that the staff loved, the the customers loved, but it was up. It was probably. 80% more. It just kept getting more and more expensive than what we are using now. Our current bean suppliers, one that's been with the shop since 2003, actually. Oh, wow. And they are, they were roaster of the year in 2016. They're super good. But, you know, so we sort of build our brand on using their products. Um, we're actually looking to maybe go with a local roaster. Um, they're coming here from Texas. We're truly excited about finally being able to do uh, local beans that we feel are really the quality, but yeah, you just can't go buy like a ground Folgers off the shelf and and make it work. 
You just can't. No, that does not work <laughs> at all. It just doesn't. Now, an, another thing is, so looking at all those, you, you also can't just raise your prices every month or every day. And, and I think particularly in like a, a service industry, like a coffee shop or a restaurant, you're typically dealing with, with lower margins on your products. I mean, the, I think if you really go crazy in your store, you could walk out of there paying $5 for a drink. Um, but that when I decide to get a bean freeze or something, that's what, yeah, you know. You're going over five with the large. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but beyond that, you're talking ticket average of two, three dollars maybe? I'd say maybe, well, it depends. If you're doing drip coffee, you're somewhere in the 250 range. But, and the truth is prices are going to have to go up because we just are getting ready to do a, a wage increase. And yeah, I, you know, maybe the average ticket price is 450 around that. And what we know and are sad to say, we can't keep the coffee shop just on coffee and drinks. You know, we added in the breakfast burritos, which has really, really helped us in 2020. That was, that was a huge help. And I think we're really looking at doing something simple with a sandwich and soup kind of thing, but a coffee shop really can't hardly survive on just coffee anymore. It just isn't. You're going to have to have a higher ticket price. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, because again, we're in Hutch and you're an independent small company. So you're not running the kind of volume. It, it would be one thing if you were running thousands of people through your yeah. store every day, but you're really, you're not. No. And you know, we have in winter, it's going to get better. We're going to have higher volume, but um, we just don't have that kind of volume where you can have a low margin. And, and our margin is actually pretty tight as it is. So I, I want to come back to the community part of things. Um, one of the things I've always noticed in, in, your, in your store and in, in, in the coffee shop is that you, you sometimes have like these uh, locally made mugs or, or, or hot pads or things like that, but also art. There's always art on the walls. Uh, you, you allow artists to come in and display what they have and sell it. Uh, mm -hmm. through this, I assume they sell it through you guys. Um, talk to me about why you think that's important. Art is such a gift to the shop. I mean, the shop is great, but when the art comes down, it's like a little part disappears. Art breathes life into the shop. So we're passionate about having art in there, but sometimes the art is really great. And sometimes the art is maybe a beginner level, but it follows sort of with the same thing we did with music. On Friday nights, a lot of times we'd have maybe not as practiced of musicians on Friday night. And sometimes we have art that's not as advanced, but the, everybody needs a place to stand out, yeah. to be. And so, you know, art we love having in the shop. Um, we also sometimes have textiles in the shop from local people. That's fun. You know, um, we sometimes have rugs. We had a really cool display from some of the uh, textile artists where we had knitting and crocheting and that kind of thing on the wall. That was awesome. But again, it's back to that sort of thing where we had different music. 
and bluegrass, jazz, you know, ska or, or, you know, just such a wide country. So it allows everybody to have an expression and, and be valued because the different kinds of music are valued. The different art skills are valued. Um, you know, so I, it, it's another way of us being able to provide an outlet for people that might not otherwise have it. Yeah, I, I never considered that before, but that's, uh, I, I really, I'm glad you said that because it seems like uh, a place like yours is really critical in a community like ours to make sure that people have a place to experiment and to grow. Because um, for artists, it's not always an easy thing or musicians to get up and perform in front of people or to display their artwork. Um, they certainly probably don't know how to break into a market you know, in a community. So having a place like yours where they can come in and do that and get some feedback and maybe have some success in, in whether it's performing in front of a group of people or selling some art, I think that's such a critical part of a community. Yeah. One of the fun things is we have, um, often have student art in there. I know Haven High has art in there occasionally, um, Victory Village, um, students have art in there and so they get to have their art out in the public and it's again it's just another way for us to say you know you're important you're valued for who you are and um we love that opportunity and yeah we sell the art um or we don't care people can just have people contact them directly we don't really we don't make anything off of the art that's sold it's just kind of a venue yeah. for people to, to share. Yeah. I bet that you cannot wait to get back to a place where we're doing this sort of thing again, where we're having shows yeah. and we're having events and swing dancing mm-hmm. and whatever else we can imagine that we can do in, in your, in your coffee store. tastings, tea tastings, coffee classes. We love doing that where we tell people, you know, help them learn about brew methods, help them learn about different kinds of coffee. Um, different kinds of tea, herbals, you know, we love that kind of thing. Um, the swing dance, we really miss that. We we truly miss the music. Um, you know, I keep trying to figure out some way to do it outside. But we we aren't on the quietest corner. That's true. Yeah. You're very you're on a very busy intersection and in a very busy part of town. Yeah. 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 Well, earlier we had talked about um some of the, some of the challenges through the last year and a half mm-hmm. and some of the frustrations, but you'd mentioned that there were some good things too, and that you had seen some real kindness yeah. from, from customers and from the community. Can you talk about that or share some of those? Um, well, first of all, people were so generous to us in the rally Reno County. Oh, that was huge. And that was, I would make sure that people understand that was uh, kind of a collaborative effort with uh, the community foundation. United Way and 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 th- this is where people could buy gift certificates right. to your store as a way to kind of keep you going and right. provide some cash while you were shut down and couldn't operate. Yeah, it was it was such I I remember seeing people purchase gift certificates and I thought, wow, they're really betting on us. And that was really touching. And also we've developed, uh, we've had some people that have been super supportive 
over the last year and a half. You know, every once in a while you get, you know, really encouraging note for someone and you really know that they're in your corner. So, um, yeah, the really rally Reno was a good one. I think we continually have people asking us when we're going to have music again, when we're going to have swing dance again. I mean, if nothing else that, that allows us to know that it meant something to them. How, how important was that during a time when you were facing something you had never faced before? Um, looking at the prospect of shutting your business down to have people in the community do things and say things that demonstrated a belief that you were going to be here when this was over. Yeah, it was, it was really encouraging. Plus it allowed us to know that we could pay our employees one more payroll, you know, but to have people, it's like, I think I was surprised that people really cared and that Metro meant something to people. You know, you do it and you don't really expect anything back. And then you're so surprised when they go, oh, you know, this is an important place to me. This is where we had our first state. This is where we proposed. You know, this is those kind of things. And people saying, this is where I get together with my friends every Saturday. And I don't want that to end. That was a really bright spot. You know, when we, I still remember locking the door the evening when we found out we had to shut down and we didn't know what was coming, walking out that door and turning the key and not knowing when you might open the door again. And then having people be so supportive and you're like, you know what, maybe we can do this. And that that's huge. And I, I feel for the businesses that weren't able to survive to the point where they could do it again. Yeah, because there is a lot of unknown at that point yeah. for, for all of you, right? Yeah, and it's one of the things that's really interesting. Like I said, we were lucky that we had some savings. We had put, you know, instead of Jim and I taking the money out of the business, we had kept a small amount in savings that allowed us to pay staff. And not every business has been able to do that. You know, and, and I am so, it was, wasn't a huge amount. It allowed us to do a payroll, and I'm so grateful for that. I am too. Well, I I love your store. I know a lot of people that do, and I'm glad that you're still here. And I hope that you never, ever, ever go away. We hope so too. <laughs> thank you for thank you for coming on today, and thank you for being so candid and so open about some of the challenges you faced, not just in the last couple of years, but throughout all of this and, and moving into the future. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone. If this sounds a little bit different, it's because I'm calling in from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I had to come up here for a legislative leadership training and uh, while it's been a busy week and an enjoyable week, I wanted to make sure I could still kind of summarize some of the events that are coming up. Want to make sure you don't forget about Arsenic and Old Lace. If you listened to last week's episode, we talked to Ben Jones, who's the director. That's happening at Family Children's Theater on October 7th, 8th and 9th at 7.30 p.m. and on October 10th at 5 p.m. The Hutchison Arts Center will also have its exhibit for its autumn auction available for viewing. Uh, they'll have the art in there. Uh, you can check it out, and then that will be available 
uh, on auction, on the auction block, on October 23rd at 9 a.m. Farmer's Market's still going on. That'll happen uh, this Saturday. Uh, time's running out on that, though, because we don't have much fall left. And then on Sunday, if you're a bike rider, you can take your bike down to the Tour de Salt. That's on October 10th at 9 a.m. This is a, a ride I've done a couple of times, and I really enjoy it. You get to ride around in parts of the salt mine on your bike. Always remember, if you do this, to take uh, a tire with tread and wider tires. You do not want to take your road bike down there. And you also want to be sure to wash your bike off when you're done. Those are a few of the events that are going on this week. As always, if you have an event that you want us to promote and let people know about, be sure to reach out to us. We'd love to promote anything going on in town. Take care. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a moment and say we're having a lot of fun doing this podcast. And I'm really, every week, I'm just excited with the people that I get to visit with. Um, and I hope you're enjoying it too. And if you are, it's really important that we get more people to listen to this podcast uh, to make it sustainable. Um, as much as I like doing it, it's gonna be hard to keep going if we don't have as many listeners as we'd like. Um, there are some simple things you can do. If you like it, first off, tell your friends about it. Make sure you share it with people, talk to them, say you've got to listen to this and you'll find it interesting and, and get the word out about it. Another thing you can always do is like it, uh, subscribe and rate it on your player like iTunes or Spotify, uh, just anything you can do to kind of indicate to other people that this is something worth listening to. Another thing you can do is subscribe to my newsletter, which is thatguyinhutch.substack.com. There's a free option, but there's a paid option on there. When you subscribe on the paid option, you're helping both my newsletter and the podcast continue. Anything you can do to help on this end to make sure we spread this out, get more people listening, we'd really appreciate it because I want to keep doing it. I want to keep bringing interesting people from our community and our state in for you to, to visit with. I'd like to thank a few of the people who've helped make that podcast and Hutch possible. My son Mitchell Probst wrote and recorded the music for the show. Jenny Brigette put together some great graphics and promotional art. And Chris Acker helps overcome my mistakes to produce a great sounding product every episode. That podcast in Hutch is made possible through a collaboration between the Hutchison Arts and Culture Collective and Salt City Sound. They're working to bring resources and infrastructure to support art, music, and storytelling in our community. If you have an idea for your own podcast, reach out to them at podcasts at saltcitysound.net. If you enjoy that podcast in Hutch, be sure to subscribe and share it with all your friends. You can also help support this production by subscribing to thatguyinhutch.substack.com or by emailing me at thatguyinhutch at gmail.com to learn about sponsorship opportunities. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Salt City Sound Production.